Welcome to Sound of Symphony, the unofficial symphony podcast. I'm Magnus Nordlander. I'm Tobias Nyholm. I am Ryan Weaver. And I'm Jared Farish. And this is episode 16. Yes, it is. And this we made is, it. This yes. is a really technical episode. Yeah. We're going to talk about bundles. Yes. We're going to talk about the concept of bundles and, and we're going to give you some tips and to build better bundles. Yeah. Way to go bang on the beetroot, as we say in Sweden here. <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, no small talk or anything in this episode. It's, it's straight on to the bundles. Oh, oh did you yes. want to chat? Did you no, wanna... I mean, it's, uh, we, we usually do. Yeah, yeah okay, How... sure. So, so... How was your day? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we can, go, we can go straight to the bundles. It's, uh, um, it, it, we, I mean, we did just visit a, visit a conference and not everyone attended. This is true. We had, we had a little three-person podcast there where we were short, one of us. Yeah. So welcome back. We got the band back together for exactly, this. Exactly. Yes. Got, that, that's we're, your we're cue, back Jared. Up to fifty percent United States on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good mix. I mean, fifty percent U.S., fifty percent Sweden. That's yeah, uh, exactly. That should be representative, shouldn't it? That's that's representative of of the world. Yeah, exactly. We have all the important countries represented. Wow. <laughs> Texas. You know, should, should we give them of... your email address to send emails to Magnus directly? Uh, obviously, <laughs> address all your complaints to uh, Magnus at example.com. <laughs> <laughs> so, building better bundles. Yes. <laughs> Enough small talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, I, I started with uh, directing a question out to the group. I mean, what is a bundle? Yes, that's a good mm. question. Um, and I have a is something in which I, you have more than one of it. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, that's not, not true. necessarily. No, well, yes, yes. This is this is the kind of question that could get you into a bar fight at a symphony conference. Yeah. So I mean, let's let's just yes, you should have more than one bundle because you already have the framework bundle, and your code needs to reside somewhere. But this is an an important question uh, <laughs> because I've had non-symphony users or people just started with symphony wonder this so it sounds like basic like we're talking about some really basic concept that everybody understands yeah. but but that's not true uh and i bet if you even talk to some seasoned symphony developers and really ask them yes but but what does a bundle actually do or give you yeah i think it's not I think, so clear i think there's two different kinds of bundles that we need to keep in mind here um first it's our own bundles that we put our code in, those are a special kind of bundle. We as a... We as developers using the framework. An, uh, an application developer. An application developer. Yeah. And that's the app bundle in the standard edition. Yeah. Um, and then there's um, public bundles, bundles intended for distribution. And those two types of bundles have quite different... Um, they're quite different in what makes them a good bundle. Sure. Um, we're, no. So in your app bundle, what makes it a good bundle if, it, if it's not in the way, basically, whereas in, in a public bundle, it's making it easy to use for everyone else. So I guess we'll have to kind of touch that on piece by piece as we go through this, because that's, that's kind of a 
number of different things. I actually not think... Like, not, not one thing you do, do different in one versus the other. It's a whole bunch of stuff. I think we should actually... No, I think we should get that out of the way here because I think this episode should be mostly about public bundles. So, okay. So let's get this out of the way and let's, let, let's talk about the app bundle first and what makes it special and um and how you should create a good app bundle uh and luckily there's a bunch of documentation about this in the symphony best practices document yeah that's correct me if i'm wrong but the best practice document is only about your app bundle mm -hmm. yep, yep, that's it, true. it's, yep, it's yep, nothing that's... about third-party bundles mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. um, so, so we'll we'll fill that gap here after we finish talking about app bundle then we're filling yeah. in the best practices the yeah. podcast here yeah. Yes. Also, is there is there any difference in the definition of a bundle between uh, two and three? Not really. Or the no. understanding of a, of a bundle? No. But is nope. there is there a difference between a Symfony bundle or and a Laravel extension or a plugin or s something else in Send? Probably, but I'm not familiar enough with them to to to, to actually know. What I'm asking no, is, uh, what I'm asking is the question of. What is a bundle? Is yeah. that the same answer as what is an extension or what is in a plugin? Yeah. 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 So no. Yeah. Tobias is is asking the question that that I want to have somebody answer or, or have all of us answer, <laughs> um, which is which is what does a bundle do? Or yeah. to ask it a different way, which a friend of mine asked this recently, we already have composer uh, packages. I can already composer install stuff. So. Why, why, why are there bundles? Why aren't things just libraries? Like, what does this bundle thing give us? Yeah. Or asked an even different way, could I, in my project, where I normally have an app bundle, could I have no bundle? Yes or no? What, what, what would taking that bundle take away from me? That why, why do I so desperately need this bundle thingy? Yeah. So I think that, so those are all excellent questions. And that's, I'm sure, why you're asking them. And I, say, I think the answer depends greatly on if you're talking about the app bundle or if you're talking about a public bundle. So let's start with the app bundle. And I think for the app bundle, the, 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 the purpose of the app bundle is really to hold your application code, whatever code you're writing for your application, unless you're doing something very much advanced. If, you're, if you want to stick to the Symphony best practices, which you should in probably 95% of all projects, your app bundle is where your application code should reside. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, I mean, you don't have to put it in the app bundle if you don't have to, if you don't want to. But um, that's, uh, I imagine, yes, it does give you some advantages, but really it's just a, really it's just a namespace for whatever is your code in that case. Um. I would answer that question differently. I would say the bundle plugin or extension is the piece of code that glues your code together with the framework. Yes, and that is that would be my my answer for public bundles. In the case of public bundles, the entire purpose for those is to glue together your framework and a library. Uh, yeah, and you could argue that your code in your application is also a library, and then you need a bundle to glue them together. But that, that that would be the five percent case I was I was just discussing. Yeah, yeah. So, but be specific. What, what is that glue? So, if you were to go down that five percent case, like like why do I have yeah. to? What what 
Okay, so let's say in my project, I decide just just to be complicated, just to make Magnus's life difficult. No, I'm five percent road here. This is what I and do. And I'm gonna projects. put things into a directory. So I'm gonna have like SRC slash, you know, App. Sound of Symphony, something yeah. like that. I'm gonna yeah. put all my PHP code in there because you can do that, right? As long as yep. your directories match your namespaces, then then you're having a party. And then I'm gonna put some stuff into App Bundle yeah. because there's some glue layers there. What types of things? could not live inside of my SRC slash Sound of Symphony directory? What types of things would have to live inside of my app bundle? So there's nothing that has to live inside your app bundle at all. So if Symphony is too flexible, you can work around it. Yeah. But what you prefer to have in the app bundle? Yeah, big, big controllers, uh, CLI commands. Yes, also um, configuration. And, uh, no, configuration is in the, uh, in the app directory. In the, uh, with the best practices, configuration is in the app directory. Yeah, your 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 your, your, your configuration dot php that class you uh, don't use that for yeah. the uh, uh, you, uh, you don't use that for the best practices um, could be discussed you don't do you don't do some, so basically an idea in the best practices is the app bundle does not use semantic bundle configuration um, you you sure but in the five percent cases you could even in the five percent case I don't think it's Usually a good idea to use semantic configuration for your bundles. When I think about it, doesn't the best practice say that you should use like uh, constants instead? Parameters. Or maybe constants? No, parameters. Yeah, we say, yeah, we, we say yeah, it anyhow. says parameters. It says both. It says use parameters, <laughs> but also maybe since it's your own code, you don't even need to make something dynamic. Yeah, so, that's true. You know, deep rave and use constants when things don't need to be configurable. Yeah. So, but isn't let's there, say, say, isn't say there some of that, Ryan, that that's um, about making it less hard for people to get into Symphony because there's there's this feeling like there's all of these things that you have to do, and uh, people end up overthinking their app bundles. Yeah, that that was that was basically the idea behind it, and and that configuration class, which is something that we'll I'm sure we'll talk about when we get into the oh yeah reusable ones, was like one of those extra pieces that you can do, but if it's your own code, you don't really doesn't really make sense to. Okay, so, I, I, I withdraw configuration, but I will say dependency injection. Um, you should same answer. Exactly, you should do that in a services.yaml in your app config. In that case, the, my dependency injection and the uh, compiler passes. If you compiler passes if are you need one compiler exception. passes, yeah, which is unlikely. <laughs> no, it's, it's unlikely not. that you'll need compiler <laughs> passes I use them in everywhere. your app bundle. <laughs> In your yes. App bundle, yes, I do. It's unlikely that you'll need them, but if you do, yes, those should be in the bundle. But 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 I mean, the most common cases, even the five percent case, which is what we're talking about now, I would say is controllers. It's it's CLI commands, and uh, that's pretty much it. So basically, anything that that glues your domain code to Symphony, and in this case, you've probably written your domain code in with perhaps uh, CQRS or event sourcing or something. So your your domain uh, your domain code is is not really coupled to Symphony at all. Uh, it's just so, so so the controllers would then just be like entry points to your domain code, and then um, they, they would render templates. But the templates, of course, aren't stored in the bundle under the best practices either. No. no. Um, so basically, anything to to um, to, to, that, that that couples your domain code to HTTP, which is what Symphony handles. And if you're doing integration with like the security components, 
that would also be a part of your bundle. Um, Even voters? Uh, no, because that would... Thank you. The, well, actually, sorry. If you're doing integration into the security bundle, that would be a part of your yeah. of your, your app bundle in that case. Uh, whereas if you're doing integration into the security component, that's probably a part of your domain code. Yep. But, uh, but I want to highlight right here, because this is important. Remember, both your app bundle and your Sound of Symphony directory are both yeah. just directories. Yes. So yes. part of what you're discussing here is just like a nice discussion about if we were to have these two directories in that 5% case, like, is this code more kind of like domain-specific code? So let's yeah. put it in Sound of Symphony, or does it feel like it's more coupled to the um, to, to, to the framework? So let's put it in the app bundle. Not like it, it would work in both places. Yeah. So and, most and of what you're talking about. Basically, there's other than than being a purist, there's not much reason to do this. If you're feeling if you're feeling like a purist, it's I yeah it it looks. Nicer. It's it, your code is decoupled from from HTTP. That's that's lovely. Yeah. But I wouldn't recommend are, it to to anyone really. Mag Magnus, are you saying that there's no reason to do it? Like it's unreasonable to do it? Or are you saying that there's no if, hard and fast? Like if you don't do it this way, it's not going to work. There. I mean, the only advantage is that it looks nice, uh, or it's it's organized in a way where people can understand it. Not um, necessarily. I, I mean, to me, I've always understood like app bundles and, and third-party bundles. Those are would, recommendations on how to organize your code so that yeah. things make sense. I'd say that when, for, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're say, say if you're hiring a new Symfony developer and they've worked on Symfony before, it's more understandable to have your code in the app bundle because that's what everyone is used to. Um, it's, it, right. this, is, this is just more. It's not required, more, but. No, it's not required, but that's what people are used to. So right. for that reason, so it's not I'd that it's, it's, it's not that it's not the reasonable thing to do. It's just that it's a way of organizing your code. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just want to say that because that's one of those things where people that are beginners can take that and go, oh, I don't need to do this. And like, I can just put my code wherever. And then you, they end up with a spray of code all over the place. Well, so basically, and, so, and so it's like, well, well, technically you could, I mean, but it's I reasonable mean, to do it. It is. I would say it's more reasonable to follow the guidelines in the in the best practices because that's what the the Symphony community mostly does. So if you mm -hmm. if you know those best practices, you're going to be more prepared to step into other Symphony projects, which are likely to also follow those best practices. Mm -hmm. So and I there, mean, there are a couple practical things with the bundle and and you sort of touched on them indirectly magnus when you talked about the controller and the command directory yeah it's because when the when the best practices were made the the point uh the, the goal was to get things closer instead of having them surrounded you know spread out into 10 bundles <clears throat> yeah. to basically get everything into one directory but we could when we made the best practices we could have decided forget the bundle let's just have everybody have an src slash app directory and then because because end users don't need bundles, but there are a couple things that it gives you. So if you are thinking about this, like why why practically do we have this bundle in my code? And we'll talk later about the reusable stuff. When you have the bundle in your code, you do inherit a few optional shortcuts. And the two you talked about are the, the most obvious ones. Um, actually, I'll start with the command, right? Everybody knows if they put their command class into a command directory in your bundle, then Symfony just magically finds it. Yeah. And that works because there's a bundle and Symfony is scanning all of your bundles to look inside the command directory. Is there a way around that? Of course, you can tag it as a or register your command as a service and give it a certain tag and then you don't have to be in that structure. So, by using the app bundle in practice, like what 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 
benefit is that giving me? Um, it's giving you optional shortcuts. And the controller was the other one if you use YAML routing instead of annotations. You know, the weird app bundle colon default colon index shortcut is yeah. expanded to look inside of a bundle. So if you don't have it in a bundle, you can't use that shortcut, but but that's that's what you're getting. Yeah, and also, but also I wanted to, I mean, in the 5% case where you want to be a purist and keep everything nice and decoupled, you wouldn't even want to use those shortcuts anyway because those inject your container, and that's a big no-no if you want to be a purist. Um, I don't want to be a purist, Magnus. No, exactly, and I, so <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, there's really, uh, other than for purism's sake, there's not really much reason to do that. Just follow the best practices. That's uh, their best practices for a reason. <coughs> it's because they're the best practices. Sh should we should we leave the app bundle? Yeah. Uh, and I I want to I'm not too sure this, if this is a good idea or not. But I want to propose that the four of us should build a um, a bundle together. Yeah. So we have one example through, throughout the podcast. And I I think we should do a say a api client for the mailchimp api mailchimp is something that sends email and you can have mailing list and you can have campaigns yada 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 i, th I think that's a good example for, for the rest of the podcast possibly we'll we'll, we'll see and uh, see how it goes sure so, i like it i like it so w when we when we're creating this bundle when we th say to ourselves hey let's create a bundle for this what is the what is the what, what what should you think about? What is the first thing you should do? Well, I mean, to me, the first thing is really, is it is it really, the, do we really start off with a bundle? I mean, a bundle to me, especially a public bundle, is, is the glue code between Symfony and another library. Does MailChimp already have a library that you can use so that it's simply a matter of integrating that into Symfony? Or do you perhaps start with building the MailChimp library and then integrate that into Symfony? So yeah, I want to follow up on that because I, I, I often think of like <clears throat> the, the main purpose of a bundle and, and you can go crazy with this and do lots of things. But I always think of is I, I'm creating a bundle because I want somebody to automatically get one or more services in their container yep. when they use my bundle. So yes. like right now they could let's let's say there is a Mailchimp PHP SDK library right now they could use that but then they're responsible for like registering the Mailchimp as a service and handling configuration and I just want to make that easier so that they can just install the bundle and just fetch out the Mailchimp API client from the service container and and celebrate. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that so really can, that, can, that, that, that can we go back just just uh, a little bit here? Uh, a bundle is for accessing a library. I would say that a so bundle is for integrating a library into your for, for, application. Okay. So we're talking about for for people who aren't as experienced in actually building bundles, the point where they're going to be looking at and going, oh, hey, I, I need to consider if I need a bundle here or not is when they when they go, oh, there's this new project that I want to be able to access, you know, some SMS system or something along those lines. And they're going to look around. They're going to go, oh, I, I don't see anywhere where somebody's already done this for me. So there's some code out there that does something. Symphony doesn't automatically interact with it. So uh, am I considering a bundle at that point? Or yep. are there other options? 
Well, I mean, the, the, the option is obviously that you just do the integration in your app bundle and keep it to yourself. But when you're doing like a public... Inside, yeah, exactly. Inside controllers or... Uh, well, no, inside your... At the most basic level, it's inside your, your um, uh, services.yaml file. So where you yeah, create yeah. your own services for that that SMS library or whatever, um, so, so at the most basic level you do it inside your own inside your your services.yaml file. But once you start to feel that, well, this is this is really nice. I would like to share this with other people. That's when you really need a bundle. Is that the only time that you want a third-party bundle, or if you want to uh, componentize it for yourself? It, no, it, so that you, could, you can you reuse can, it. In I mean, you can do that. You can componentize it yourself if you say you're you're a team of fifty developers. Then you probably want to do that anyway, because you'd probably want to. To I mean, if you're doing any large scale development, you would want to to assign a team to a certain part of your application, and in that case, it makes mm -hmm. more sense that you have a library and that team is responsible for it, and they're also responsible for the library to integrate that for the bundle to integrate that library into a Symfony project. Um, mm -hmm. but in any, like in, in a normal so size development team of like up to 10 people, I don't think there's much reason to, uh, to start componentizing using bundles for yourself, unless you intend to make them public at some point. So the, the main business case of going down the, the bundle, uh, avenue, I guess, is to say, Hey, I either want to share my code or we need to structure it in a way where. Uh, somebody can own it. Yeah, um, it's not yeah, which, embedded which I, within I, your application. And I would still argue that that second one is a is kind of a type of sharing, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Own it yeah. within my company and share it with me. So yeah, ultimately yeah. it's not to like, do yeah. are we going to share this with somebody? And, and or, I think Magnus I, said it correctly when you're like, what what are you sharing exactly? In the smallest sense, you're sharing whatever you put in your services.yml file for yeah, that right. library. Hey, I, oh, I created these three services, and and I wish I hadn't needed to have done that by hand. Um, so I'm going to put it in some reusable way so that other people don't have to register those three services. Yeah. So and if, you're, a... if you're working on an application, this is kind of what I'm getting at. If you're working on an application and it's your application and this is like your website, like you, you, you've got this chat application that you're, is going to take over the world. You're not necessarily looking at externalizing your services, your service configuration so that other people can use your, your integrations. Um, so that may not doing bundles if you've just got a single standalone Symphony application that you're trying to build. Don't start thinking that you need to have bundles for everything. No, no. That you can just do a lot of what you're going to do within your services and use other people's bundles. But if you get to the point to where you you either want to make a name for yourself and publish something and make it available, or you grow to the size where you need to start breaking your application apart into pieces so that people can work on things and kind of own parts of it. Um, and share them internally. Uh, the, a bundle's business case is really based off of giving back to the community or uh, some internal need if you have a large enough um, application um, and yeah. group of people working on it, I suppose. Yeah, or there, I mean, there's the third case, in which case, say you're MailChimp and you want to have a, you want to expose your Symfony integration for for oh, MailChimp yeah. users to, to use. Uh, that's the third. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's that's a, a good point. relatively common use case as well, um, that, I, that you're a vendor and you want to expose a nice Symfony binding for whatever you're you're creating. Um, yeah, but, but, but that's great really, 
but that's again that's that's um, another case where you are creating something for the public to consume, um, and that's that's when you need a public bundle, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm I'm trying to think of where I want to go next because I have like I have like lots of lots of questions or what what do you guys think about things situations and and I know some of you guys have some some things you want to say as well, but I just had one pop in my mind now, which is. So, there's usually a library and a bundle. So or or at least that would be the best practice. So let's back up and say that you are solving a problem and there is no PHP library out there. So now you are sort of like for the Mailchimp API. It's sort of your job to create a set of PHP classes that are going to help you interact with uh, the Mailchimp API, and of course, that's just let's say five PHP classes, and that's reusable. <clears throat> and then you might go on and choose to have an actual integration with Symphony, a bundle that uh, you know basically takes those five classes and, and turns a few of them into services and has nice configuration and all of that. So normally, that so first of all, that would be the best practice, right? Instead of jamming them together inside one. Yeah. Uh, project yeah. because if you jam in one project, then you know non-Symphony developers can't use your library. Yeah. yeah. But, 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 I'm gonna say something weird, and just so you guys can contradict me or 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 please, well, tell me what you think. Do, do I do I really need to separate them? What, what, I'm, what I'm thinking is, isn't a bundle ultimately just a very small set of extra files like if i'm creating a bundle a bundle is just a directory but what makes that directory a bundle well there's a bundle class and then maybe a few other classes like uh that go in a dependency injection directory yeah so let's say i'm i'm a vendor i'm mailchimp and i actually am creating a php library um and i want this to be usable inside of symphony and i want it to be usable inside of laravel and i want it to be used inside of some other frameworks the historical thing would be to create three repositories there just to do the Laravel and Symphony one. You have the library, you'd have the Symphony bundle, and you'd have the Laravel extension. Yeah. Can I just put those all into one library though? Is there is there a problem with that? Yes. Just to have a maybe I have one or two extra Laravel classes inside of my thing that I don't need, I'm not using, but are they getting in the way? Well what imagine think about that? imagine what your composer and JSON file would look like. You would be requiring classes from. So you would be. I mean, basically, you as soon as you're creating a bundle, um, you usually have a dependency on the framework bundle. Um, you, you you usually. Well, you I could mean, do a, you could do a suggested in that case. Well, not if you want to have tests. Oh, you do a required dev. You're right. You do yeah. So your required dev, dev would be your required okay. dev normal. would be huge. It's it'd be Symphony. It'd be Laravel. It'd be Zend. It's everything. Um, and the package type would be sort of weird because I don't think you can have multiple package types in, in Composer. Uh, fun fact, there's that, only uh, two available package types in Composer. Yeah, Symphony uh, Bundle and Library? No, it's Library and uh, Composer Plugin. No, the, uh, well, Symphony Bundle is, is, is widely used, at least. Yeah, it's widely used, but I don't think it's supported, though. It's... I, I think. Um, yeah, well, it's... By the way, it's, what, what is that type used for? Can you, do you guys know, or can you give some background on that? So, in, I think say in, a little more about what you're talking about. Initially, it was going to be used for automatically adding your bundle to your kernel in um, when you install new bundles, um, but I don't think that ever really got off. But basically, it's for identifying what type of composer package you're dealing with. Uh, I've I've, so been go theory, I've been googling some some post processing could happen. Yes, there are there are more types than I thought. There are 
library, yeah. your Symfony bundle, WordPress plugin yes. or Typo 3 module, yeah. and also the Composer plugin, which is a special, yeah. special thing. Um, uh, and also, why you not want to put in the Laravel extensions and Symfony bundles in the same package is because that would violate the common reuse principle. I mean, in a, in a Laravel extension, you will have no need for the bundle class, for yeah. instance. So, so that you could take this to be to be devil's advocate. You could take that to an extreme and, and say, could. "Well, I'm giving you this library with these ten classes," and you say, "Yeah, but I only need six of them. These other four don't fit my use case. So you should split that library into two pieces." Sure. If you take this to the extreme, you will only have packages with one class in. Sure. <laughs> and I also think I also think it's a matter of interdependency, though, so that if you to make cohesive units, and the library is a cohesive unit. Whereas the bundle is uh, it certainly depends on the library, but it depends on a lot of other things as well. And making suggests in composer.json, I don't really like that. It's not uh, it's not very um, very managed. Uh, you can't, for example, okay. have any version constraints on suggests. So how would you in, how how would you uh, indicate that your bundle only supports Symphony three, for example. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. This that's very good. Okay, you guys have won me over on that. That that's very good. <laughs> okay. Um, mm -hmm. But I do want to highlight it, at least before before you shot down my argument, which I was very happy that you guys did because I was like, this seems <laughs> fine to me. Um, it is kind of interesting though that talking about and, and we don't have to talk about this now, but as, but as we get into things, maybe we will. Um, there is kind of a normal bundle structure. Yeah. which is you have like a bundle class at the root of your repository and you have a dependency injection directory at the at the root of your repository and you know it looks like uh like all the bundles are um but it doesn't need to follow that structure and sometimes no. you're starting to see things in slightly different structures i i can't remember which one but i actually have seen cases where there's a library that has a symphony bundle in it yeah. like in a symphony subdirectory uh, and, the... and technically that's okay cuz there's a bundle file in there and also um there is a couple of cases um, where people are actually putting multiple bundles into one repository. Yes, I've some seen of them that are optional, too. Like the Symfony repository. That. That's true. <laughs> oh, that's true. Technically, Symfony is that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, what I would say is stick to to, to idioms. So if there's a if there's a way that everybody does something, even if it's not the optimal way. It's better to just keep with the way that everybody's doing it, so that so people will be able to recognize it when they when they take a look at your package. Lemmings, man, lemmings. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, right, the, so... the the thing I would think is, you know, if you're if you're trying to update it and you've got if you're in you know and you're supporting five different frameworks or applications in the same bundle or whatnot, then you know, are are, are you going to end up pushing changes that are, you know, to one, you know, is your, is your update history going to start to get kind of hairy after a while because you're updating yeah. Laravel, but the symphony people are getting, you know, version. Yeah. And know, what about to figure out, okay, which version should I use and stuff, you know? Yeah. Versioning, versioning. And especially if you're doing Semver, which you really should, um, doing BC breaks in only like, say, say you have both a Laravel integration mm -hmm. and a symphony integration in the same package and you have a BC break in the Laravel integration, that would mean that you have to up the major version for the entire package. 
even though yeah. the symphony version, the, the symphony bundle is unaffected. Uh, and also the other way around. Yeah. If, if, if you do a major version update and not do a BC Bricks. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's so, weird. So the moral of the story is don't use Semper. No. Oh, no. Yes. Do <laughs> use, on the contrary. Do use, yeah, do make it way too hard. But split up your package, in, split up your library and your bundle into separate packages. That's the moral of the story. When we talk about Semver, I want to highlight that Semver behaves differently uh, before version 1.00. Yeah, go uh, ahead. You, you can actually break BC in a minor versions if you not have tagged 1.00. Yeah. So that's, that's something to be aware of. And does the hat operator in Composer respect this? The hat operator expect that, but not the tilde operator. Yeah. And you should always, you should never use the tilde operator. You should always use the hat operator. Yeah. Whenever I see a a bundle, the first thing I do is look at the readme. Yes. And I want to have a quick grasp of wh what the bundle does. Yeah. And how I should use it. Yeah. And and to to be fair, I mean, um, pretty much all Symphony bundle readmes start with. Uh, to install this package, add this to your composer file and add this to your app kernel. And if you're an, if you're an experienced Symphony developer, you're going to know that uh, yeah. by the back of your hand. I don't like that at all. I like that anyway because it's it because first of all, um, for new developers, I imagine it's still useful. Secondly, it's not that difficult to add; just copy and paste it from some other project. Sure, but but is that the, the most important thing of your README? Is that what should be on top? How you install it? Yeah. No, I mean, it shouldn't be on top, but it's the second thing. The first yeah, thing is, what is this and what does it do? Yeah, and maybe an example how to use it. Yeah. And then, then you have the install. Yeah. And then you have all the configuration. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. And, and, that, and that example of how to use it is like, that, that's meant to be like the cover of your book. It's not yeah, a complete yeah, story. Yeah. It might sure. not have a use statement. It doesn't sh maybe show how the object was instantiated, but with four or five lines of code, I go... Oh, that's what this bundle does. Yeah, awesome. this this is why you want the bundle. That should basically it's it's your it's your it's your shop front window. Yeah. Um. So so um. Yeah, and I, I think like and I think basically, if you're if you are intending to release a bundle to the public, um, both following Semver and having a README file, is something that you should. Do with your bundle. I mean, basically, I think it's it's if you're intending to release something to the public, it's better to release it early and add that later, perhaps. But it's such a such a such a simple thing to start with that you should just start doing it immediately. And and also another yeah, you say re release it early and give it like a like a zero point one version or something. Actually, I think as soon as you're satisfied with the library, you give it a one point <laughs> so that people know, so, so that people know that once once you have BC breaks, it's two point So we're using we're using internal bundles in the project where where I'm I'm working, and we're up to to on one of the bundles we're up to version eleven now, um, and it's it, it works well. I mean, once you have BC breaks, you it's very easy to see. Um, I know it's a lot of major version numbers out there. Yeah, you, you could. Go, go for 100 if you like. I mean, Firefox is version 50 or something now. Chrome is also version like something 50. Yeah, sure. And um, I, I believe you should have at least wait a couple of months before you tag 1.0. No, to, well, to, to, to make sure it's stable, to make sure it feels good, because otherwise you could get a dependency hell. Well, to make sure you're satisfied with it, perhaps. 
Yeah. And but once you're satisfied, boom, 1.0. Yeah, There's okay. no need to wait. At least sleep on it. Sure. <laughs> At least. <laughs> you know, a uh, uh, funny side story here real quick. Uh, I, I was at a... Uh, I was at a thing on Sunday afternoon with a bunch of non-programmers. Like I'm guarantee you I was the only programmer in that room. <laughs> and uh, somebody started pitching about beta, about stuff being a beta. They were like, you know, I wish I could do my job. Didn't ever have to finish. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? And I, you know, I, I, cause I remember 10 years ago, that was remember when Google broke the whole like beta software forever. Like they were the ones that yeah, first started yeah, doing yeah. that like popularly, you know? And I was like, man, I was like 10 years ago. What are you talking about? And he's like, man, you know, he's bitching about something. I think it was Pokemon Go. But, you know, <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I, you know, it's permeated. Every, you know, pretty much everybody understands that anything that's, you know, you slap a beta on it that, hey, you know, it, it could not work. Or yeah. It might not work in some cases. I'm not responsible. Yeah. <laughs> so just put beta on it. You know, 1.0 beta. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you you can do that. That's that's perfectly possible in in, in Composer. Um, possible, but not preferred. Exactly. So so, but basically, I mean, I I think that you should release. It, it's better to release early than to not release at all. Naturally, naturally. But Semver is use Semver, please, please. I there are bundles that. Well, now they actually do, but they didn't use to follow Semver, and that was nasty surprise in production. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I had a dish as well. There was there was some major library. That, yeah. That, uh, no, it was some labor major library, and the it was an API client. The API was updated to a new version, but they all used update the patch version in the API client, so every, everything broke naturally, and yeah. they they blamed that the the API client doesn't follow the API. Or something, something. Yes. Anyhow, another easy win talking about versioning is add a change log. When, yes. Whenever you tag a new version, just write a few yeah, lines, at a few least, words. At least for, I mean, it's it's always good to have a change log, but at least for major versions. Yeah. You should detail what sort of, what, so what's the BC break here? Yeah. And what, what is yeah, a BC what, break? Yeah, what you need to change. Yeah. You know, you know talking about that, um, we're, we're talking about general things, but... What does it look like to somebody who's never, you know, it's easy to say, hey, you should publish your, but what does it actually look like? Just a general sketch of the steps involved in first putting it out there. And then like, what do you do when you actually have a bundle that's, that's, that people can get to, uh, because it's like, oh, change log like that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we've all read change logs, but yeah, it's just a text file, you know, yeah. Yeah. go to GitHub, create an account. You yeah, know, so, commit, so do your first commit kind of thing. Like, what is the outline of, of getting so, into publishing your your bundle? If you're if, if somebody you're, who's never done it before, if you are publishing your very first bundle and you haven't written it yet, so you're actually starting to write it, it's simply a matter it's simply a matter of if you don't already have a GitHub account, create one or some other. You don't actually have to use GitHub, but everyone does. Um, mm -hmm. uh, commit your code. Um, please add a README. Um, and, uh, which is a which is a file package. inside your package. Yes, yeah. readme.markdown or just readme. Um, you can depending on how you want to format your text, and uh, add a license. Don't release MIT. code without don't release code without a license. And if you're using Symfony, please use MIT. 
Yeah, use MRT every every time, whatever. No, use the same license as the ecosystem usually uses. Or MIT. And no, and in Symphony's case, it's 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 MIT. <laughs> if you're contributing to say uh, the Linux kernel, yeah, use GPL. Uh, use whatever is prevalent in your community. I, I yeah. recently read up about this, and half the projects on GitHub uses MIT, the yes. other half using GPL. Yeah. So don't use anything other than that. Well, there's that, that one depend. percent that's using yeah. that, you know, lower Apache GPL. license, for example, is another possibility. Yeah, if you're planning to do a lot of patents, patents. Well, sorry. Yes, but if you're so if you're in the Java community, for example, I think Apache license is far more common than than say GPL. Sure. Um, and in that case, if you're doing Java development, use Apache license. Use whatever license is is um, is common in your community. Um, so you have so you have your so you have your 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 package. You've managed to get it into GitHub. Yep. You've you've pulled up a, a readme.md file, and you can see that whatever brilliance you wrote about your project is showing up. Yes. Um, and then you uh, add it to packages. So now you have this this very skeletal package, which may not actually do anything yet because you no. you you just wanted to put something out there. Yeah. Now the process of actually doing something with it is is x like what are we doing now like there's you you mentioned a change log that that sounds like a process or a workflow no it's just like, a, it's just a text it? it's just a text file that says well no, no, in, it's, it's in, just a text file but it's every time you go to commit there's anytime you tag a new version like, not not in every commit every time you tag a new version you you add an entry to the change log saying that between 1.0.0 and 1.0.1 this is what happened. Or between version 2.3.4 and 3.0.0, and these are the BC breaks, and these are the things that happened. Um, so basically so, just a... So every time you're committing and moving your version, minor number, major number, go in, take your change log, and express the changes that you've made. Yes. Sure. But I, do, I, I think it is important to note that you don't actually have to tag a new version for every commit. Um, it, it's perfectly right. fine to, to, to work on something, uh, even in the master branch, and not tag a new version for a couple of weeks. Yeah, the master branch doesn't have to follow. Uh, the, it can break BC without you telling anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just that the the thing is when you actually tag that version, if yeah. it breaks BC, it has to be a major version. Yes. Um, but it's perfectly fine to have like it's perfectly fine to have hundreds of commits before actually tagging a new release. But you should tag. Re I mean, releases should be tagged fairly often. <laughs> like, if there has been a major change, you should tag a new release because people were going to be wanting that. When you say tag a release, is this a uh, git uh, a git tag? It can be a git term, but you can also do it in the GitHub UI. Yeah, I'm I'm la I'm lazy. I yeah. I click releases and I hit draft a new release. Yeah, me too. And, and it's and it's very easy, and I get to type in cute boxes, and it does it for me. Yeah. <laughs> and when you do that, one of the things I like, and this is not just for creating a bundle or a library, but also when I look at other bundles and libraries, when you go into the releases tab, it'll show you, it'll say under each release it'll say something like 
15 commits to master since this tag. Yeah. So for a bundle author, that's that's the way you can go if you haven't been creating that change log to um, <laughs> click on those real quick. It'll show you a nice diff view and you can summarize the important things. Yeah. Or if you're, you know, using some other library and you're trying to figure out, do I, you know, what's going on here? Is the latest version actually the latest version or is there have been 500 commits to this thing and they're just not tagging it because they suck? Um, do I need to like use dev master, which hopefully you don't, but anyways, it's just a good way to get information about what's going on in the repository. Yeah. And in that particular case, if there are, if, if there are 500 commits since the latest tag, um, another thing that I think is important, but not but possibly not as important as the readme file, uh, is, um, being nice to your contributors. So in that case, you should open an issue and saying that, well, we haven't seen a tag in 500 commits. Could you please tag a new release? And as the bundle maintainer or library maintainer, I mean, this this is the same regardless of if you're doing a, a bundle or a library, uh, you should be all sun, sunshines and, uh, and happy faces and be, uh, yes, of course, and tag a new release. Um, so or, should, or explain why goes, you can't tag a release this week. This also goes both ways. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, as a collaborator, if you're collaborating in terms of your project and somebody's collaborating with you, be nice to the people who are collaborating with you on your project, doing pull requests and whatnot. But also, if you're collaborating with other people on their projects, be nice to them. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. you're a collaborator no matter if you own the project or not, and it's never fun to be in yes. a situation where somebody's hitting you over the head because they want you to do something and. You know, it's not necessarily the right thing for the project, or it's just not what you want to do. And um, also, also, I think one another thing to be to, to keep in mind there is that even if somebody else is acting like an asshole, uh, you should not really stoop to their level and uh, keep being nice because usually the other people will stop acting like assholes and start becoming nice towards you if you don't escalate the situation. Um. So uh, that's uh, another another good piece of advice to be uh, uh, unfailingly polite, regardless of, of how unpolite the uh, the other people might be. Um, but but yes, and, uh, and things like acknowledging once once you get a pull request, you should thank the person thank the person posting the pull request or or uh, posting an issue. Um, even if you don't, even if you can't merge that pull request, you should. Think, I mean, they obviously took the time to uh, to try to help you with this project. The the least you can do is is uh, is be nice to them. And also try to encourage them. Yeah, I, I see that they tried to solve this problem this way. That that's interesting. That's that's a new this new way to do it. I mean, try try to encourage them. Yeah. Uh, I think we spoke to Kathy Face about this. Yes. And she had some great insights how to do in the, the Drupal community. Yeah. That's that's episode two or something in the podcast. No, it's it's later than that. But yes, it's an early episode. Yeah, for sure. okay, sorry. Three. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I I I have a rule that I will always like say thank you if someone yeah. merged my pull request, and, and and also thank people when I'm merging merging a pull request. Yeah, which can seem weird sometimes because I'm on the Slack chat with uh, with my friends, and then they merge. We discuss the merging this, and then I publicly say thank you, anyways. Yeah. So I I want to have the public, if someone looks at the Git a GitHub repository and see what was happening happening, I want them to see that we are polite to each other, and that's is a 
it's a friendly library to contribute to. Yeah, and that's how you get more contributors in the future. And uh, I hope so. Especially that's uh, being being nice towards your contrib being nice towards your contributors, and uh, responding in a timely manner. For example, um, that's how you get them to contribute more to your yeah. library or bundle. Yeah. Or if you end up with a project that you just can't maintain, make yeah. sure and label the project. Put something on the page on the README or something that says that it's an unsupported, unmaintained project. Yes, um, and that it's up for adoption because if you can't yeah, if you can't you maintain yeah. a, if you can't maintain a, a library or bundle, um, you should hope that somebody else wants to, basically, um, because it's but they, always. But better. they won't even know unless you have that yes. warning up there. And and yeah, this is how you get like issues and pull requests that nobody ever replies to, and it yeah. just it just looks. It's not it's no fun for you. It's no fun for them. And this happens all the time. So I'm I'm glad that you brought that up, Jared. Mm -hmm. So you, 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 when you start a bundle, you don't think about what happens someday when I don't want to support this bundle anymore. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's all puppies and sunshine when you start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe you don't use Mailchimp anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, b b before before we dig into be more technical about the the actual bundle and the code, should we talk about backwards compatibility? What what is the backwards compatibility promise for a bundle in general? So there's no there's no one answer for this. Sure, sure. <laughs> Um, basically, I Come mean, on, if you, Magnus, if, if you can you try have, harder. If you have lots of time and you're you you're able to write the documentation of an basically an API documentation, saying that this is our public-facing API, then changes to that is what's breaking BC. I want to challenge you there. What is what is publicly facing in a bundle? Well, that's that's what you have documented as publicly facing. Name an example in. What what could be publicly facing? I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone who's actually done this. So no, I don't. Even even Symphony doesn't actually. I, I actually read the Symphony backwards compatibility promise today. There's actually no promise that service names, for example, will remain the same. Um, the 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 thing is the, what I want to get to. There's nothing in a bundle that is has backwards compatibility promise except for service names and configuration. Um, so, well, basically, a backwards compatibility promise is what you make of it. Sh sure, sure. So, <laughs> but, but but what you would expect? Yeah, and and I would you would I would even go so far as to say public services. I mean, you don't expect private services to be no to to be um or to be, no no. And I, mean, I would I can inject those private services into my services. You could, but you would be doing something wrong then. Yeah, this is one of those. That is one of those gray areas where, you're like, eh, yeah, you that's why. So that's why. You, so that's why you should have a documented public API, which includes which services are part but of you that. Just said that nobody actually does that. No, exactly. It sounds good. It's so, so. That's what you would do if you have if you have this a lot Magnus's of time on your hands. <laughs> um, no, because the, serve, the 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 class behind the service is is not part of your bundle. That's part of the. The, the the library right yes yeah yeah so that that would also be protected by bc wherever yeah. that is yeah it, sure but it's, it's not part of the bundle the and and the uh, and the uh, the configuration is but the dependency injection and the controllers and the commands i mean they don't have really a backwards compatibility controllers certainly can if, if they're for example exposing a rest api yeah but uh, that, that is the uh, Sure, but is that really the controller or what's well, the, the, the routes? So that's why that, that's why I mean, even if you don't want to sit down and do, if you, I I do realize no bundle actually does this, but if you want to be 
prudent when it comes to to um, if you, actually let's put it this way: if you want to give a backwards compatibility promise, that's what you need to do. You need to document what your public API is. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you don't document your public API, everything is your public API, and that means a lot of major version changes. Um. Mm. So. Well, what we're basically saying, or what I done in some bundles, is that I, I wrote, I write in the readme saying it's only the configuration and the service name that is part of backwards compatibility problems, yeah. and, and and then I'm fine to do pretty much whatever as long as I keep the those those things. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make say sense. Real quick on on the on the topic of controllers, which most bundles don't have controllers, sure. don't have routes controllers, but but sometimes they do. You know, controllers are inherently okay. So there's some things that that just cannot be overridden. So if, you know, if we have a class and we make a private method on it, like we know we can change that private method. Sure. Yeah. That's just how PHP works. Great. No, no problems at all. But if we create a controller class, well, just the way that Symphony works, that controller class is overridable. That's a feature of the framework. So we can. Um, say that our controller class is not part of the public API, and so therefore we're allowed to change it. But of course, we still don't want users to shoot themselves in the foot and do it anyways, and then we change stuff and they're unhappy, even though we told them not to. Um, so can, for controllers specifically, I'm trying to think if this applies to anything else, make those as, as small as you possibly can. Yeah. Just like you would in any other project. Like, okay, if your controller has three lines of code because all you're doing is calling out to a service, um, then, then inherently, there's not really much for them to override and break anyways. Or like uh, the new version of FOS User Bundle does, right? In older versions of FOS User Bundle, if you wanted to, let's say, like send an extra email after registration finished, you were supposed to like override a controller and like maybe override one of the methods inside of there. But now they just dispatch events, which is a very elegant way of doing it. Like, no, no, don't touch our controller. Um, just, just listen to this like event post registered uh, event or something like that. So uh, you know, if you give your, if you keep controllers and and places like that small and give them extension points, then they're you know they're going to be kind of nudged towards the proper way of extending things versus maybe extending something that they technically can, but you hope that they don't. Yeah. So should we get into into the technical? What makes a uh, a good bundle? Yes, please. I think it all starts with the configuration because that's pretty much why you're making the bundle anyway to make it easy to integrate a library. So. What do you say? What is what is good configuration? Well, there's actually a bunch of things that makes good configuration. Obviously, everything necessary should be configurable. Um, you should always use the um, the info uh, key in your in your uh, configuration. You should use the example key, uh, naming the example key. Yeah, so you can an example value for the uh, for okay. the field. Um, you should do input validation if it's if it has to to be a particular format. You should enforce that uh, in in your um, um, in in your config um, config node. Sure. Um, and um, one thing that I that I really like is that if you if you have dependencies between other bundles. Those should mainly be configured in your bundle configuration. Yes. So if 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 your if your service is dependent on other service, yes, you should add a like a, a, a ser so service logger, name. for example. Yeah. You should you should you should add a, a a bundle configuration key 
for the service ID of the logger that you want to use. Yes. Yes. Uh, but don't you feel, whenever you're writing a lot of configuration, don't you feel that this configuration nodes, this tree of nodes get messy? Uh, yes. Good. I, I want to know that we're on the same page. Then. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, and another interesting <laughs> thing that you can do is... is um, what, were we really done there? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's going to be messy. And there are methods of, of uh, uh, only doing parts of the tree in one method, for example. But it's it's going to be messy. That's 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 the way that crumbles. Um, but um, another interesting thing you can do is uh, you can... Because you should always use same defaults whenever it's possible. You can also detect whether a particular bundle is installed and use a different default depending on that. Yeah. So if you have, say, the security the, the security bundle installed, uh, you should be able to uh, to do lots of defaulting by that. Actually, the security bundle is a bad example because that's such a basic bundle that you might actually just just assume it's there um, but if if you um, um, if you're using something like what's a common bundle monologue bundle is quite common well that's yes if you're using yes okay monologue bundle um, if monologue bundle is available you can default the logging service to logger which is available from monologue bundle yeah um, so that's that's what I'm talking about for creating a, a a good configuration. Sure, and I also you could dump the configuration, but I I like to have the configuration reference in the readme. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because that, that that helps a lot. And if so, and, and if you're using examples and info keys, actually the dump is going to be quite useful for, so, for writing the readme. For writing the readme, yeah. yeah. So so that's a um, uh, Tobias, do you? Tobias, do you mean uh, linking through the README to the actual configuration, or do you mean like a explanation, like a chart of the? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, like in in the README, you have a table or something that explains this config value means this, and this is the example values yeah. of it. So, so you can have a good uh, overview of what configuration values exist for your bundle. Yeah. Uh huh. And, and, uh, and just for for the uninitiated, that that that's also something that you want to main that you want to include in your in your uh, version upgrade workflow, you know, do the change logs. And yeah, so yeah, forth yeah, and yeah. Sure. I mean, read your readme to make sure that things stay. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than the than the configuration um, documentation not working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the configuration really is a big part of the the as a developer the the interface you have to a bundle. A lot of that is the configuration, so it has to be. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot. I mean, almost all of it, I would say. Yeah. Almost all of it. Yeah. Well, that depends on how advanced the bundle is. Yeah, sure. Yes. Sure. Um, so are there any uh, any other nice tips of what you might want to do in a, in a good bundle? Uh, since the bundle is the glue between your code and your framework is, I mean, I, w I would like to use the, the Symfony Web Profiler. Yes. Naturally, say say in the example of the Mailchimp bundle, yeah. I would like to see how many API calls are we, I mean, doing, how many mails I've been sending. Yeah, and and also how, how much time it takes to to do those calls. I yeah. mean, it, to just integrate with the stopwatch. Yeah, and that's would you say that that 
to integrate with the web profile? Is that complicated? Or it's a lot of things to do, but it's very fairly simple. It is. I mean, it is complicated. I would say it's it's one of those things that we that, that probably should be improved in a in a future version of Symphony. Uh, it's it's a lot of things to keep track of, and it's complicated because you have classes that need to be serializable. And it's it's yeah, it's it's slightly complicated, but the documentation is quite easy to follow. So as long as you're looking at the documentation for it, you should be able to do it. Uh, yeah, and I, I I'm always surprised or impressed when someone have done this integration. Yeah, uh, with a nice integration. I mean, to download bundle and actually see debug info in the profiler. Yeah, and that, this is great. This is really, I mean, you can have a good bundle without having without having the the web development toolbar integration, but this is what sets apart the good bundle from the excellent bundle. I would say. Yeah, I, I wonder. I, I wonder if there's any way to pull statistics to find out how, like, which one of the most used Symphony bundles, like, which ones use, you know, or include Profiler integration versus those that don't. Possible, but I haven't seen it though. But it's, it would certainly yeah. be possible to 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 get that sort of stats. Is that you know, if it helps people, you know, actually uh, use it. Then uh, that would be an argument for going through the trouble of of actually yeah. um, including that in it, and and just for people who are you know again who are who are beginning, if you're if you're integrating with the profiler, then you're getting the uh, log support generally through Monolog. I'm sorry. Can you can you so repeat you, the? So you're getting like in like you're getting the info and the error log and things like that. So you're that you're you're able to actually do logging. Um, if you're integrating with the profiler, actually logging is is easier. I mean, it's easier to do logging than to integrate with the web with the web profiler. Um, so, and we can actually talk about how to do logging because it's easily enough explained in a podcast form. Um, basically, you, you just have um, uh, there's the PSR four, which is the logging package. PSR three. PSR three. Yes, you're right. PSR three, uh, and there's a logger interface. Uh, so basically what you do is you make sure your bundle classes and your library preferably uses that logger interface uh, a lot. And then you just pass in the logger to 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 your your bundle and your um, your um, your library. And, and if you're extra lazy, there's also a uh, <laughs> logger aware interface and there's also a, a logger aware trait. Yes, yes, there is. If you're extra lazy, if you're extra lazy, um, since you know, since this isn't a video podcast, <laughs> you can't really see the look on my face right now. But it's don't do that. <laughs> uh, just you. I mean, just inject the, the just inject them the, the same way you would inject any other service, and um, always log um, um, log everything, basically. Uh, it's it's much easier to add logging than to 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 add web development profiling. Yeah. Okay. Right. And what well, is the reason? The, the the thing I want to point out is that we're not talking about logging per se. We're talking about profiling and using the web development toolbar, which are kind of maybe bigger pieces. Yeah. At a minimum, you really should be logging the way that you should be logging. Yes. Um. And it's not as big a bite to take. No. As, it's it's really it's really know, simple to start. It's really simple to start using logging. Uh. That's probably, I mean, if you're looking at some sort of a, a priority list here, logging would probably come before 
the web development too. Sure, sure. Um, another interesting thing you can do, depending sort of, of course, depending on what your actually what your bundle actually does, is to provide good CLI commands to help your users. Um, say if you are uh, if you're creating the Mailchimp bundle. Uh, maybe there's a part of the API that allows you to see the last 10 emails sent. Uh, an excellent command in that case would be to just list the last 10 emails. Yeah. Um, or um, to send emails through the command line. Um, basically provide your, your users with uh, debugging tools. So if something's not working, they don't actually have to write code specifically to find out what's What's the problem? They can use the tools you provide. Um, and that's um, definitely something that makes life easier for, the, for, for all those times when things aren't working, which happens sometimes, sadly. <laughs> <clears throat> that never happens in my code. No, never, happens. never. Of course, I, I, I would never, but, uh, but other people perhaps, no. Um, <laughs> despite other despite, people have these problems yeah. with code that doesn't work, I don't understand. Yeah, just to be clear for everyone, uh, we we make mistakes all the time. Everyone does. It's fine. Um, if you're not making mistakes, there was somebody that told me one time that um, with uh, uh, wall climbing, rock climbing, that uh, if you're not making mistakes, you're not working at your level because yeah. that means you're not challenging yourself. Yeah. Spe so, speaking of mistakes. Know. I want to talk about how how to test a bundle. Yes, and yes. The, I mean, sure, sure, we got we got Travis. Yes, so that's actually you release step one. and let other people tell you the problem. Well, that's actually step one. So, no, so heard. No. whenever so when you set up your public bundle on GitHub, set up Travis for it. Even if you don't have any tests, set up Travis for it, so that when people do add tests, it'll it'll get the nice green light. And. Which is Travis is free if it's a publicly available. If it's open yeah. source, Travis is free. Yes. Yes. Um, so so do that. That's the that, that's that's uh, sure. sure. When you set up Travis, it's some easy things to do. You can make sure that your bundle runs on a Symfony two point seven, two point eight, and three point zero. Yes, and three point one. Yes, and no. Yeah. Actually, basically, that depends on what you have in your composer.json. So what I like to do is to make sure that you test the highest version supported and the lowest version supported. Uh, yes. So that should cover everything. Yes. And, and to do that, you add functional test, which creates a, a small Symfony uh, kernel. Yeah. And then just install your bundle in that kernel and make sure it doesn't explode. Yeah. So and, and to do this easily, you can use the Symfony microkernel, which keeps everything in one file. Yeah. Uh, that's that's quite nice, um, and uh, then just um, just add add your configuration and make sure because that compiles your kernel and that catches a whole lot of different issues in your configuration and in your extensions and if you have any compiler passes, yeah, uh, it's a, it's an it's an easy it's an easy win to to add that sort of testing. And also, a, a small test to do is to test your compiler passes and your. Uh extension classes with uh, i think matthias Novak made a symphony dependence injection tester yeah and and that's you just uh you extend his class just you extend the php unit framework test class yeah and then you have some easy method to test your uh, your 
yeah. extensions and compiler passes. And that, that's, I mean, if you have those two tests, which is very simple to write, then you have uh, you have a lot of test coverage, and you have tested yes. that it doesn't explode. Exactly. Which is a great help when you're making updates. Yeah, and of course, I mean, it's always, uh, with, with testing, more is usually always better. There, there comes a point when more doesn't really add anything. But if you can add more testing, uh, if you're using, say, PHP spec, or if you're using adding Bayhot tests, or just adding more unit tests, it's it's good. It's 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 better to have them, um, but you do get a lot of bang for the buck with these these quick and easy, basically smoke tests. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it, it's it's a matter of it's a matter of um, uh, how much time you actually have to put on on this in this public bundle usually. But wouldn't it be difficult to use PHP spec? Say in in your bundle, what lives in your bundle? Well, not particularly difficult. Uh, com commands and the controllers. Yeah, you can use PHP spec. Sure, with those. sure, sure, you can. But as Ryan argued earlier, I mean, your controller should only be three lines of code yeah, because that makes it really easy to use PHP spec <laughs> to test it. Fair, <laughs> fair. Uh, so, so that's that's a that's a, that's a good <laughs> argument there. <laughs> okay, okay then. Um, another thing you can do, now we're getting into the really advanced stuff here, I think, uh, is to use service tags to allow the application to integrate back into your bundle. So why would you use service tags in the MailChimp example? Uh, I, don't, I can't actually come up with a reason in the MailChimp example because it's, it's <laughs> not I, I was really, trying myself. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's probably not a good, a good use case for, for service tags in the MailChimp example. Um, can you explain what a service tag is first? Like um, when you say service tag, what do you mean? Yes, you've probably used them. So, for example, if you if you are adding a kernel listener, you have the you know you add the tags colon and then you have the kernel dot event listener and the the name of the event you're listening for. Or if you're um, what's another common use case for event listeners? Um, or no, for for, for tags. Um, uh, not a common one. Uh, if you're registering form types, you can you can do that with tags. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, so so okay. So tags is pretty much just a label with some attributes. Yeah, and, and what you can do with the serve with those tags is basically because basically you can add whichever tag you want to whatever service you want, but what you can do is in a uh, in a compiler pass you can get a list of all services that actually has that tag, and then you can do stuff with it. So, for instance, mm -hmm. in in my in my public cache bundle, I have yeah. put put a, uh, a a cache tag on all my uh, PSR six cache pools. Yeah. So then I can get all my pools in a compiler pass and do things about them, uh, do things with them, like injecting a, a logger. Yes, or for example, making sure you're able to find the the, the pool for the web development toolbar. Yeah. Um, so basically. Anytime you want the user to be able to provide their own classes and use, you want to use them in the bundle, that's when service tags really shine. And we're going to be linking in the show notes. There's quite a bit of documentation on, on tags. Yeah. Um, but but there's not, not all bundles are actually going to have a use case for tags. But if they do, uh, you should really use it because it's so much, so much simpler to, uh, to, to handle things than... Yeah, but basically, tags are used as a, as a point of integration. Yes. Um, yeah. 
So, okay. so, so your bundle can basically say, give me all the, give me all the services tagged as listeners, or give me all the services tagged as, um, say, say you have, um, you're doing something with, with users and you have multiple user providers or something. You can now give me all the services tagged as user providers or all the, the services tagged as, um, as Acme providers or whatever. Or actually, yeah. actually, a use case in the Mailchimp example is, uh, say you have email addresses, and they can come from different sources. Yeah, and one of those sources is uh, a, a service. It, yeah, it's a service, but that also that's one of the sources that are written in the application, not part of the bundle. Exactly. So, so what you could do is you could have a Mailchimp email address provider interface, which basically has a method that says get email addresses, and then your um, uh, the, the developer can implement that interface and tag their service with MailChimp address provider. And then you can write a compiler pass that, um, that, that'll fetch that, um, all of those providers and add them to, uh, to some sort of a chain or, or whatever, whatever you want to do with them. But it, basically it's a way that you can, you can get a hold of services um, from the application developer, not necessarily, yeah, not specified in advance. Uh, and of and of course, <coughs> we're gonna we're gonna add links in the show notes. And uh, I mean, the documentation is quite good on this, so yeah. it's it's uh, should be fine. So so, yeah. what what more should we do about the bundle now? You have good tests, you have service tags, you have a, a CLI interface, and you have well documented BC breaks. You have good documentation, and you are. Very nice to your contributors. Uh, what what more should you be doing with your bundle? Is there is there more to do? I, I mean, sounds what you're describing sounds like a pretty good bundle, doesn't it? It is a pretty good bundle. Yeah. Um, yes, the minor thing I would like to do is to add uh, to add more hooks to the GitHub repository, say for style CI to make sure you follow the, the code styles. Sure. Or to scrutinize or to find logic bugs and other. Issues that you may not find when you do manual reviews. Yes. Um, apart from that, I, I think our bundle is pretty complete. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it, and that's, you know what, that's quite perfect because we're running up on time now. I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean it, it sounds like um, it sounds like um, a pretty pretty decent bundle. Um, before we um, we close this show. Um, because I think we're pretty much done with bundles now, right? Uh, before yes. we close the show, I, we, we have an announcement to make. Uh, it is about the, the event of the century. <laughs> SymphonyCon Berlin. We are actually before, uh, recording a podcast at SymphonyCon Berlin on stage. On stage. Um, and it's, uh, we're actually one of the few... Um, one of the few... Um, performances to 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 not be, be split into to multiple tracks we're not running opposite someone uh, so we have Aren't the entire we? audience to ourselves oh that's great yes that's uh, great. so if you if you're visiting simply they have no Berlin, idea what they're in they for. have no choice no. <laughs> you will have <laughs> to see us the doors. <laughs> yeah. and jared you will be there you will travel to europe yes Yes. That's awesome. Hopefully it's not like 8 o'clock in the morning the first day because I'm sure that 
No, it's I can, <laughs> during lunch. I can actually, no, it's actually, it's actually uh, the last, it's, it's, uh, it's 5 p.m. It's oh. the last, uh, we're finishing off the first day. So, so, so it's like a closing oh, keynote or something? Pretty much. We're, we're doing the closing, <laughs> the closing keynote for the first day. That's, that's one way to look at it. Uh, it's definitely going to be something special. Um, we're debating internally here on how to, to make this as memorable an event as possible. Uh, if you have any suggestions about how to make this as memorable event as uh, an as memorable event as possible, uh, please send an email to us. We'd be very happy to hear. Um, and um, Magnus at fervo.com. Uh, se. Uh, but yes, uh, email address or, or is our, of You find our contact details. Yeah, exactly. Our our, <laughs> our email addresses are up on soundofsymphony.com. Those are not for complaints, though. Only for for suggestions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if if you have complaints, please send us a fax. Yeah, exactly. like <laughs> please please find your nearest your nearest recycle bin and address your complaint there. Um, no, but but I think it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Um, um, yeah, and and Jared is doing Germany. That's uh, yes, in winter. In the winter. That's when everybody comes for. Uh, vacations <laughs> it is it certainly is no but i mean it's 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 um it, it may be winter but it's still the event of the century oh yeah yeah it's sound of it, it's sound of symphony i'm excited live at uh, SymphonyCon berlin i went uh, to uh symphony live last year in san francisco and and uh but i missed the uh one in paris due to the uh uh, you know the unfortunate attacks that happened yeah. just before it. So this year I'm definitely looking forward. I've already got my room. I need to purchase my ticket, my plane ticket here in the next few days. Yeah. Um. So it's gonna be it's gonna I'm be excited. awesome. Um. And on that note, I think we can probably end the episode. So this episode of Sound of Symphony is coming to an end. The show is produced by Magda Nordlander, Tobias Nyholm, Ryan Weaver, and Jared Farish. Visit our website, soundofsymphony.com, and please subscribe to our uh, podcast on iTunes. And thank you to our sponsors, Fervo, Happier, KNP University, and Dialogues App Incorporated. Fervo is a symphony consulting business. Happier develops a platform for fair recruitment. KNP University provides symphony and PHP tutorials. And Dialogues Apps is a web application services company. Our music, Cool Intro and Cool Vibes, is provided by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. Thank you, Kevin. And Symphony is a registered trademark of Fabian Potencier in the European Union and other countries. The podcast is not endorsed nor affiliated by Fabian Potencier. We're back next month with more Sound of Symphony.